Oh, I can't tell you his name. Yeah, I just got asked which one of my brothers or sisters got in trouble. And I'm not going to rat on him. Never. I was the first child. I was always obedient. Spoken like a first child. (sighs) Okay. Turn with me to the worst chapter in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 27. I have not been looking forward to talking to you guys about this particular chapter. It is just ridiculous. If I have them turn on the fans, will it offend anybody? Because I am sweating. Can you turn on these fans, Craig, please? If you guys get cold, put on a blanket. Um, there's too many verses. No, there's not. I can just quickly read them. There's only, thir- there's only 12 verses. 1 Samuel chapter 27. Now, just to recap. Last week, we looked at the story where David and, um, uh, 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 yeah, what's his name? My, my, my brain is going, no, 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 David and his nephew, Abishai, thank you. David and Abishai crawled into the camp. They were all asleep. He grabbed the spear. He grabbed the jug. He came, got, crawled back out of the camp and he called, hey, Saul and Abner, blah, blah, blah. I got the sword, got the, the... And then finally, Saul says, I'll never chase you again. You're such a better person than me. And then Saul leaves and David goes his way. And then verse 27 happens, or chapter 27 happens. And it says, David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should just escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, and he and the 600 men who were with him went to Achish, the son of Maach, the king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, Saul no longer sought David. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day, Achish gave David the village or town of Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now, David and his men went up and made raids against the Jeshurites, the Gergesites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would neither leave man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels and the garments and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made raid today? David would say against the Negev of Judah. Negev means wilderness or against the Negev of the Jezreelites, Jeremielites or against the Negev of the Kenites. 
And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news of Gath, thinking lest they should tell us, uh, tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom. All the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. This is supposed to be the man after God's own heart. This is the man that loves the Lord so much that he wrote psalms that we still today sing. And what did it say he did? He murdered men and women and children so that they couldn't go back to the king and tell on him what he did. And then the king comes to him. and I mean, he comes to the king and he says, the king says, so, David, where have you been raiding today? And then David lies about it. Now, scholars will tell you that David wasn't technically lying because the people that he slaughtered lived in the area where he was saying he had raided that day. So technically he wasn't lying. But he was covering his tracks. And I want to I want to pull this apart just a little bit. I, I, I just, number one, I did not want to even look at this. I wanted to skip this chapter, but you can't do that when you're doing a survey of the entire book. You have to do chapter by chapter by chapter. You can't skip it. You got to deal with it. So first of all, let's go back to the story of David and Saul. Okay, remember I said last week, this was the last week was the last time that Saul and David ever face to face interacted and saw each other while Saul was still alive. But the very first thing that happened to David, well, before I even do that, let's let's give you set the stage with some of the characters. It says that David with his 600 men and their households. Okay, so we're talking at least 1200 people. How many kids did they have? How many servants did they? I don't know. So we're talking probably in the neighborhood of 2,000 to 4,000 people that David is now responsible for, okay? And David goes to the land of the Philistines. Now, to bring it in today's world, what is prominent in the news right now? There's a fight going on between Hamas and Israel. From your perspective, Hamas is here on the on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and then Israel's here. Well, this strip of land is not very, very big. It's like, is it 12 miles long, Jim? I think it's about 12 miles and six miles wide. It's just a narrow strip. Jim was telling me the other day, imagine going from the Little Chena River to the Pleasant Valley store, three miles on either side of this road. That's Gaza. Okay, tiny. This area that David is now living in is that part of the world. He has now gone into the land of the Philistines. They were the sworn enemies of Israel. And if you recall, I mean, not if you recall, but you heard me say that that he went to King Achish. Do you remember that name from earlier? When David was running from Saul for his life, 
it says he went into the land of the Philistines and when he got into the presence of King Achish, he realized he'd made a mistake because they were not happy to see him there. And so David begins acting like he's a crazy man. It literally says he's scratching the doorposts, letting his drool come down on his beard. And Achish goes, why did you bring this wild, crazy man into my presence? Get him out of here. And so David and his people escaped. But now David comes back to Achish. And for whatever reason, Achish doesn't remember that he was a crazy guy. Or it's okay. I don't, we're not given that information. But David comes back. And my question is, why? He's running for his life from Saul. He doesn't, David doesn't know that this is his last time to interact with Saul. We do, because we can see from the perspective of, of, you know, looking back. But he can't. All he knows is that Saul has been after him and after him and after him and after him. And he's like, I just, I can't take this anymore. Remember, we talked about last week, he was just despondent. He finally said, I just, I broke it. I can't deal with it. I'd rather live in my land of my enemies than have to deal with this anymore. And so he goes to King Achish and he says, can I stay here? And the king goes, sure. And the king says, but, I mean, then David says, well, but it wouldn't be right for me to come and live in your presidential town, your king, your, the, the seat of your, your government, can I just have some place? And Kikesh goes, yeah, sure, take Ziklag. And it, it literally says from that day forward, the town of Ziklag and all the surrounding land now belongs to the kingly line of David. All the kings who followed David owned Ziklag in that area because it was given to him by the king, uh, by King Achish. So David and his 15 to 2,000 to 3,000 people move into Ziklag. And now they've got to support themselves. They need to go to the local Fred Meyers and buy some food. Oh, Costco better because it's cheaper and you can get a big bulk stuff. None of that's available to them in this area. What are they going to do? Oh, I got an idea. Let's go kill some people and steal their stuff. That's literally what he does. Now, look at, look at the very first verse of chapter 27. David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will finally despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I will finally escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and his 600 men who were with him. Do, 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 um, do, do you see any faulty stuff going on here at all? Let's go back in the storyline a little bit. Way back at the beginning when David had to run away from King Saul uh, because Saul was throwing spears at him and trying to kill him. And David goes to a priest and he says, do you have anything for me to eat? And that priest says, I, all I've got is the showbread that I just took out from the holy place. Ah, I could give you that. And so David does. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm on such a fast mission from the king. I didn't even have time to get my armor or my sword. And the priest goes, I've got... Goliath's sword that you could have if you want. So David takes that and there's a guy named Doeg the Edomite. Remember him? 
And Doeg the Edomite becomes the downfall of Peter, I mean, of, of, uh, of uh, David, because he goes back and he tells King Saul about what he saw. And the end result is King Saul then calls all of the priests from that area and King Saul has them killed. And one priest escapes. He's the grandson of the high priest Eli. And it says that when he escapes, he brings the priestly ephod, the high priestly ephod with him, and he goes to live with David. The, for those of you who don't know, the ephod has a little pocket in it, and in the pocket is what's called the Urim and the Thummim, which are stones that are basically black and white. And whenever they wanted to discern God's will, they would do this and throw them like almost like dice, if you will. And if it came up, a certain pattern would be yes, a certain pattern would be no. So whenever there was a question about what should I do, the high priest would take the Urim and Thummim and throw them, and they would trust that God would speak through the Urim and Thummim. So David has the great, the grandson or the great grandson of the high priest with the high priestly ephod that has the Urim and Thummim in it. And David has the ability to ask God directly, what should I do? And we see throughout all of this, God, what should I do? God, where should I go? God, what should I do? But then David reaches this point in his walk where he is just devastated by this constant, constant, I can't get away from Saul. And so he finally says, what can I do but just leave? And he does. But he doesn't consult with God. <clears throat> to me, that doesn't make sense. This is a man after God's own heart. This is the guy that God holds up to us as an example. And here this man, when he's in the deepest, darkest part of his life, and says, he's never going to leave me alone. I'm going to die. It's better that I should just leave my homeland. I'm just going to go. But he doesn't turn to God and ask the question, should I? He just does it. Now, let me tell you, as a pastor, if I try to preach a sermon to you guys without asking God what I should say, I've done it for 20 years. I fall flat. You people are bored to tears. I get negative feedback if I get any feedback. But if I sincerely say to the Lord, what do you want me to say to your people this coming Sunday? It's like God downloads to me stuff. It's amazing. Happened to me this morning. I went to bed last night, read the scriptures one more time, and I said, God, just give me stuff. Help me, because I was struggling with this. I woke up this morning, first two thoughts in my head were stuff about the sermon, and I went, oh, I've never thought that before. Then I, was, I opened up a commentary, and I went, oh. The commentator said exactly the same words that were in my brain when I, when I woke up. That was God speaking to me. I've learned that if I have something I have to do that's important, I need to ask God so that God can guide me and teach me. We're told the Holy Spirit is present with us, leading us into all truth. David skipped that step. This is a man of God. He loves God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength. He's been proved over and over again that he is God's man. But when he was in the deepest, darkest, lowest point... He skipped that step. 
And what did he end up doing? When it came time to provide for the thousands of mouths that needed to be taken care of, he got them a place to live. But what about the food? What about the provision? So what did he do? I don't see anywhere in here where God, through the Urim Thummim or any other prayer, told him to go kill a bunch of people, including children, so that they wouldn't tell what he was doing as he stole all the food from them. But that's exactly what he did over and over and over again. It said in this chapter, he lived in that area with King Achish, uh, under King Achish's protection for 16 months. Now, we're only told of three episodes. Maybe that's all they needed was three to provide for themselves. I don't know. But it sounds to me like it was more than a once every three or four months occurrence. It sounds like it was probably something that he did regularly. And it's this idea, and this is what I said to the kids this morning. It's this idea that, David, don't you get it? It's in the word of God, for heaven's sake. Something you've been familiar with from your history, David. If you try to fool God, your sin will find you out. Now, we don't see here in this particular chapter, David getting any type of negative discipline from God. We don't see David suffering any poor consequences as a result of these really poor actions. But let me share something with you. The very first thing, what was going on in this 16 months? A transition was happening. King Saul was waning in his authority. David was being raised up in his authority. It was God's plan. It was, I mean, David was anointed and was, had, had slowly been raising up, raising up, raising up. If David had kept his focus on God and God alone, if David had gone to God and said, should I? And God said, yeah, go to King Achish. Yeah, he's going to give you a place. And then when, if David had then said, God, how am I going to feed these 4,000 people? If he had said that to God, Isn't it possible that God could miraculously provide food? Oh, look, what happened in the old days with Moses and the million people crossing the wilderness? Every stinking morning, they got manna, which was called bread from heaven. Every stinking evening, thousands of quail settled in and they ate meat. So the people, millions, some scholars say million plus people, We're fed every day with bread and meat and water. Remember the story how God brought water from the rock? Craig, can you turn off the fans? I'm getting cold. And some others are getting cold too. Um, Do you remember how God brought water from the rock? God can do anything. God can feed the households of 4,000 people or, or 600 people easily. You don't have to go and steal and kill and destroy to get the food that you need. But David didn't do that. He didn't trust God for that. He tried to do for himself. And the end result is, we're now talking about it. And it's a stain on his character. 
But even worse than that, and this is the thing you need to hear, he didn't learn anything from this. He actually laid a foundation from this. Because he learned that he could hide his sin by killing anybody that knew about his sin. Are, is the light coming on, anybody? King David is on the rooftop of his palace because normally kings would go to war at this time, but David at this point, he's too good. He's too big of a king. He doesn't go to war. He sends the army. So now he's in Jerusalem and he's on his rooftop enjoying the beautiful view in the day. And Whoa. And looks down and he sees a beautiful young woman naked bathing on the roof of her house. And instead of going, oh, I shouldn't be looking at that. He goes, hey. And then he calls one of his servants over and he says, who is that? Bring her here. And then he has an inappropriate relationship with this woman, even though he knows she's married. And she ends up pregnant by him. Well, her husband is a guy named Uriah. Her name is Bathsheba, if you don't already know this story. Uriah is out fighting with the army. And David, I don't remember the exact story, but somehow Uriah gets sent back from the front to give a report to David. And then David says, Thank you so much for bringing your report. Why don't you go home and visit with your wife? Trying to hide his sin. Uriah, being an honorable and upright man, refuses to go and be with his wife. His logic is, all of my compatriots are out in the, in the war fighting and they are not in any way of safety. How can I in good conscience go and sleep in my own bed and be with my own wife? And so he ends up sleeping right there at the gate of the, ca- of the castle, of the palace. David finds out about it. He goes, oh man. So then that night, the next night, he gets him drunk. And tries to get him to go home and sleep with his wife. And Uriah still in his integrity refuses. So now David's in a white hot panic. Because she's pregnant. Adultery is, is, is punishable by stoning. David, the king, would be stoned. He's got to do something. So he writes a note and seals it with wax with his signet ring and says, Uriah, take this to Joab, the general. And Uriah carries his own death notice, death warrant, back to the general. Joab opens it, reads it, and goes, what? Okay. Uriah, you are to be in the front lines at our next attack. And Uriah is killed. In that next battle. So then Joab sends a messenger back to Jerusalem to report on that battle to King David. And this is the message. Tell the king that we suffered great loss. And if he happens to get upset because our tactics caused us to lose so many people. Tell him Uriah was one of the people that died. 
And that's exactly what happens. The messenger comes back and starts telling the story. And all of a sudden he gets to the point where there's a lot of loss. And King David's like, what in the world was Joab thinking? Putting himself in a situation where that many people would die. And the messenger goes, oh, but Joab told me to tell you that Uriah was one of the ones that was a casualty. And David goes, oh, thank you. And then the story goes that Nathan, the prophet, calls David out Mm -hmm. and says, you have sinned. And God knows everything about it. And the end result is this child that was born illegitimately will die. The foundation for that sin was laid in chapter 27 of First Samuel. Because David learned a practice. If you don't want anybody to know what you're doing, hide it. Do everything you can to hide it. Bury it as deep as you can so that no one will ever sully your reputation. But the reality is, as God said in his word, Numbers chapter 32, 23. Remember, 3, 2, 2, 3. 32, 23. 3, 2, 2, 3. Your sin will find you It's not just to the Israelites. It's not just to King David. It's to every human who has ever walked the face of the earth. The blessing is. If we confess our sins. God is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins. And will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you have found yourself in a situation where you have committed sin that you thought was hidden, you have hope of forgiveness. You don't have to continue to hide it. You don't have to continue being afraid that you'll be found out. Because believe me, once a secret is out, there's no more power in it. Once the the secret is out, it can no longer cause problems for you. Well, it can cause problems for you. But if you've already outed yourself, no one else can cause harm. And so you go to the one that you sinned against and you say, God, I confess my sins and I I ask for you to forgive me of my sins. Not because of any righteousness of my own, because obviously. But by the blood of Christ who died on the cross, whom you raised from the dead, who currently sits at your right hand, making intercession on my behalf. God, I'm asking you. Cleanse me of my sin. And the promise is he will. The issue is you have to confess. You have to repent. You have to take that step. But the promise is there. And the better part is don't lay the foundation at all. Don't allow sin in at all. Always walk a path of holiness and righteousness. When the enemy tries to trip you up, to cause you to sin, claim the promise found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that says, God is faithful and with every temptation, he will give you a way out. <coughs> There's one other thing you need to know in how deep 
the sin foundation went in David's life. And unfortunately, I don't have the reference written down, so bear with me just a second. Let me see if I can find it real quick. It's it's in 2 Samuel, but I can't. I'm struggling. Father, show me. Okay, I'm not going to take the time. Um, If you've ever read the story of David, and after he becomes the king, these 600 men that have rallied around him, from that 600 men, there are mighty men who raise up, 30 of them. And even within the 30, there are three or four that are just prominent and become mighty, mighty, mighty powerful men. Uriah was part of that group. These were the ones who were closest to David. These were the ones that were loyal, faithful followers that would literally fall on a sword in order to protect David. Uriah was one of those men. And David had him killed to hide his sin. The enemy will take you to some very dark places. Know that you can't hide there. Your sin will be found out. The last thing I want to read to you, and then we're going to pray. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, it says, Come on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father God, this is not a good chapter, but this is a hopeful word that if we will trust you, you will provide us a way out of the temptation And if we have already sinned, you will provide us with forgiveness if we will simply confess and repent. So, God, I ask for each and every person in this room. Speak to us. Your Holy Spirit right now in this moment. Talk to us. Is there anything in our lives right now that we are trying to keep hidden in the dark? 
Is there anything right now that we need to bring to the light? That we can confess to you and receive the forgiveness that we need. Lord, help us not to stuff it down, hide it as deeply as we can, because all it's going to do is lay a foundation for further darkness and future future sin. Help us, God. Help us, God, to walk in righteousness and purity and holiness and light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Whoever's reading, come on up.